0: Covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley.
1: We do welcome you into another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Welcome in. Another week's worth of Brewers talk. A lot to get to over the next hour plus, as it's been a very, very busy week. With a lot of different things happening before we get into anything, let's get our normal housekeeping items out of the way at the top of the program. If you want to get in contact with me, best way to do so is via Twitter at Matt Paulie on air, M A T T P A U L E Y on air. And if you do listen to this podcast via Apple Podcast and want to leave a ranking and review and also subscribe to the podcast, I would be very appreciative of those things. Justin Garcia is going join us in our social media conversation now. If you've been with us for the last three weeks, you know kind of organically something that has happened is uh, there was previously a podcast on this WTMJ mobile podcast platform called The Tripod, and it featured Justin Garcia, Ashton Rotman, Scott Warris, and Greg Hill. So I had, who was the first one I had? I had Ashton Rotman on a few weeks ago, and then I had Scott Warris on a couple weeks uh, a week later, and all of a sudden I realized... I was in the middle of talking to all the guys from the Tripod, so I just said, let's make a thing of this. Last week, Greg Hill was on, and this week we are going to do our final week, a straight month of nothing but conversations with uh, the Tripod guys, and we will uh, have Justin Garcia coming up in uh, just a little bit. We're also going to be joined by uh, Greg Young, the broadcaster for the Carolina Mudcats, and we'll talk a bit about uh, that team plus Greg's got a pretty good Bob Uecker story to pass along, so make sure to be tuned in for that. Uh, Headlines of the week coming up in just a few minutes. Before we get to anything, though, I want to touch on two things. Uh, First off, really exciting news on Sunday. Jimmy Nelson is going to be getting called up, and he's going to make the start for the Brewers on Wednesday. Darn near two years since the last time he threw a pitch in the major leagues. Uh, If you remember, he got injured when he was diving back into first base after he took a big turn on a hit when he was thinking double and then had to get back into first base, and he ended up hurting his shoulder, having surgery, and it has been a long road back. He's done a really nice job at AAA this year. Uh, There's nothing that he has done yet that would, I guess, throw up any Red flags for his ability to uh, go out and be able to contribute to this club. If you look at uh, his numbers and what he has done at AAA San Antonio, he's appeared in five games, four starts. He's 3-0 and with a 3.75 ERA, 29 strikeouts, 12 walks, teams hitting 207 against him. That might be a little higher than you'd like. 426 pitches, 254 first strikes. He's done everything that you would ask him to do. Nelson could return and probably not be the same Jimmy Nelson that he was when he first got injured, but return and be really good and it not be that long till he gets back to that point. Or he could come back and he could hit some speed bumps and it could be a bit of a process. I think either way, it's a really good thing that he's back. And I would, I'm not trying to set low expectations because this is a guy who has worked – So incredibly hard to get back to this point, but I don't think judging him in the early going is completely fair, whether he's really good at the start or not so good at the start. It's more about how he and that surgically repaired shoulder, how it does as you go through the course of a season. I mean, it is so easy. Gio Gonzalez got placed on the injured list this week, and we'll talk more about that in headlines of the week. But when he was placed on the injured list, something the correct counsel said was this might be somewhat connected, the fact that he was a late signing, so he didn't get a full spring training, and he has a little bit of a weak arm. You know, just being out of routine can certainly cause things to be different. And I know Jimmy Nelson had a complete spring training, but it wasn't like a spring training as if you were getting ready to start the season in the big leagues. Uh, They just handled him a little bit different. They had kind of kid gloves on him, which they should. I I don't say that in a negative way, and he worked really hard and he did a lot of things, but it wasn't completely normal. So I don't know what it's going to look like. And I I just hope that, you know, I'm somebody that I'm results-oriented. You You want to win games compared to losing games. You want to perform well compared to not performing well. I get all that. As professional sports, your job is to go win games. For me, especially as Nelson first starts pitching for the Brewers, I want to see him be successful, uh, but I'm also well aware of the fact that longevity is probably the most important thing and just him being able to get back on a major league mound and if he has a starter or two that doesn't go well I'm not going to be too terribly concerned because he's only going to get better moving forward. The other thing that's going to happen this week and I just don't know how this is going to play out. I really don't. Uh Travis Shaw is going to return to the ball club when they return home on Tuesday. I don't know what the roster is going to look like. Um yeah, I, I just I don't know. Like This has probably been the number one question I have gotten over the last 24 to 48 hours. What what are things going to look like? And I don't have an answer. I think most Brewers fans do not want to see Keston Hira go anywhere. Hira, in his 17 games with the Brewers, so just a little bit more than two weeks with the club, he has hit two eighty one with five home runs and nine RBIs. Uh he has an OPS at 865, which is pretty good. Uh, the strikeouts to walks, that's the only thing that you uh, really don't like. 23 strikeouts and only three walks, so that would be the thing that kind of concerns you. But he has done a really nice job, especially at the plate. He's had some letdowns defensively, but that's going to happen with a young kid. He is more than made up for any mistakes he's made defensively with his bat. So the question presents itself. Can you really send a guy to AAA who's hitting 281 with five home runs and nine RBIs in basically two weeks? And this is where the business of baseball starts to play in a little bit. From a very raw standpoint, no, you wouldn't send that guy down. But from a logistical standpoint, you can't send, and we get a lot of questions on this. You know, People always ask, why don't you just send Jesus Aguilar down to AAA? Well, he can't. He doesn't have uh, any options left. And if you try to get him to AAA, you'd have to designate him, and he would have to be uh, put out there for any team in Major League Baseball to pick him up. Uh, Once somebody has uh, accrued a certain amount of service time or once they've been optioned back and forth and the option years go away, you don't have that opportunity anymore, and that's actually how – the brewers got him from cleveland because they tried to send him to triple uh, a they tried to designate him and the brewers immediately picked him up he has not had an option since being in milwaukee and you might that might be a bummer to you that you can't send him down but again that's how the brewers got him in the first place um so you can't send him down. Travis Shaw, Eric Thames, uh, you can send Shaw down, but they're not going to. Uh, he would have to really continue to struggle for a while for that to happen. Eric Thames of the three has the best numbers, hitting two fifty-four in 55 games, seven home runs, 24 RBIs. His on-base is .383. Uh, his OPS is eight fifty. You don't like the strikeouts, 51 strikeouts and 122 at-bats. That's the number you don't like. But if we're being really real about things, Eric Thames is putting up the best numbers. They've also said that Travis Shaw is going to play third. So we would assume that's going to push Mike Moustakis back over to second. That again says it presents the question, where does Keston Hira go? So i I would be prepared. And I always say this, things always work out. Things always work out. So we don't know what's going to happen between – I'm recording this at 8.59 p.m. on Sunday night. Don't know what's going to happen between 8.59 on Sunday night and when the Brewers have to make that roster decision, we assume on Tuesday prior to their opener against the Miami Marlins, things tend to work out. Everything always tends to work out. Uh, But it's going to be interesting. It's going to be really interesting. This is one of those times where I don't have a real good handle on – how the situation is going to be figured out, uh, what and because you can send Keston here down, I'm I'm starting to think he's going to be the guy that ends up getting returned to Triple A. Probably not for a long stint, but probably ends up back at Triple A if nothing else happens in terms of being able to place a guy on the injured list or whatever it might be. I think that's going to end up being the move, and it's gonna it's gonna bum some people out. But how often uh, it's the I say it's the exact same thing. It's not the exact same thing. But how often do we see a guy who pitches really well, out of relief for the Brewers, but maybe goes two, three, four innings, you know, in one of these extra inning games that's happened this year. Uh, there was the Burt Smith appearance that jumps out to me. And the next day, they're back at A. Well, they're back at AAA for two reasons. One, because they're not going to be available in the big league bullpen for a couple days because of how many pitches they threw. But secondly... Because they have options left. If that's a pitcher who doesn't have any options left, they're not going to get sent back down. But because you have options, that allows the team to send somebody uh, back to AAA. And that's the business of baseball. And that's the way it is right now with Keston Hira. He's got options. You can send him back to AAA. You can't do that with Jesus Aguilar. You can't do that with Eric Thames. And it doesn't sound like they have any intention at this point of leaving Travis Shaw at AAA. So I would think that there's a pretty good chance, unless there's an injury that comes up, pretty good chance we're going to see Keston Hera back at AAA. But we'll have to wait and see. All right, coming up on the program this week, again, Justin Garcia will join us in our social media conversation. We are set to be uh, joined by Greg Young when we go down on the farm. But right now, let's get to this week's headlines of the week.
0: It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's Headlines of
1: the Week. So we touched on a lot of the headlines during the course of our opening segment. Uh, the fact that Jimmy Nelson is going to get called up from Triple A to start on Wednesday. The fact that Travis Shaw is scheduled to rejoin the club this week after his uh, rehab assignment at San Antonio has uh, officially come to an end. Um, and just the numbers that Keston here has put up, certainly one of the biggest headlines of this past week. From an injury perspective, Yolish Chassin and Gio Gonzalez both go on the injured list for Chassin. It's a bit of a back issue. It's something that uh, popped up on him the day after his most recent start, and his most recent start was not very good. Gio Gonzalez is dealing with some weakness in his arm or a dead arm. They think that he'll be able to get that strength back uh, relatively quickly. But those guys on the tabled list is uh, what opens up the door for Jimmy Nelson to uh, be able to return. Mike Moustakis does get a little bit banged up this week. Uh, he was hit in the hand uh, Saturday in the extra inning game that the Brewers won in 13 innings. It was uh, X-rays came back negative, so it was just a contusion, but he did not play on Sunday. Uh, and uh, that's where uh, that's where that's sitting right now. Uh, Travis Shaw mentioned his rehab assignment is going to uh, come to an end at AAA San Antonio. Near the end of his assignment, he was able to put together a really good performance. So as we talk on Sunday night in 10 games at AAA, he hit uh, 235. When you break that down a little bit, uh, he was not performing very well. He was hitting 192 going into the weekend, and then he had a game where he goes 3-for-3. He hits a home run. It was his first extra base hit of uh, his time down there. He raises his average in one game from 192 to 276 now he does not get a hit in the two games since then on uh saturday or sunday but travis shaw is going to come back and we'll see what things look like major by the time you're listening to this depending on when in the week you listen the draft might have already started might already be over but uh the major league baseball amateur entry draft this week the brewers have just two of the first 132 selections their first pick will be number 28 overall their second pick will be number 65 overall those are this week's headlines of the week
0: after every brewer's game signing an announcement bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take now we bring them all together it's the social media roundtable and it starts now
1: brewers x the podcast powered by wtmj mobile this is our uh, fourth week the final week of during our social media conversation bringing in one of the uh, the cast members from the Tripod Podcast which doesn't really exist anymore. A few weeks ago we had Ashton on and then a couple weeks ago Scott Warris and this past week Greg Hill and uh, now we bring in uh, Justin Garcia who you know uh, from a lot of the Buck stuff he does but he's done a lot of Brewer stuff with WTMJ as well. First off I'll ask you this thanks for coming on. Is there any talk of reviving the Tripod?
2: Oh, I talk about it all the time. I think uh, Ashton has talked about it. Greg Hill has talked about it. Uh, there's one person that seems to be opposed to it, and it's the one that you already mentioned that I didn't name.
1: Okay, fair enough. That's uh, well, you can just uh, you had try in there for three, and then you kind of ended up sticking Greg in there, so you could remove Scott and put Greg in, and the name would still work.
2: Well, you were in there quite a bit, too. I mean, we could change it to the quad pod as
1: well. That is true. There's a lot of things you could do, and uh, I hope that it does return because I enjoy listening to it. Uh, prior to my arrival to WTMJ, you were one of the uh, mini hosts of Brewers Extra Innings, and you're actually the guy who kind of trained me on it and everything uh, when uh, when I walked in the door. So it's fun to talk to you about Brewers and kind of reverse the roles where a lot of times when I'm interviewing you and we're talking bucks or if you're talking to me we're talking brewers i get to talk to you about brewers now let's start with this news of the day is jimmy nelson is going to return on wednesday it's been almost two years since he last pitched in the major leagues do you have uh, from an expectation standpoint where do you stand right now on jimmy nelson
2: i don't know uh i guess it's kind of the unknown that... They were so cautious with him that, guess your expectations aren't quite as tempered. And I remember the last year I was doing Brewer's X-Trainings, the second half of the season that Jimmy Nelson had, you had a ton of expectations that this guy was really going to become a workhorse, an ace of the staff. And, you know, I, that was really the unknown with the pitching staff. We knew about the bullpen and the, the back end of it. And a lot of the talk was, what are you going to do to upgrade it? Jimmy Nelson comes back and pitches like he did before that and before the injury because, what, it was August of, uh, two years ago, basically two years, as he said, since we last saw him? Yeah. I, I mean, that's really – that's the thing that the team needs the most right now, doesn't it seem like is really – not necessarily that ace top of the line, but just another quality, dependable starting pitcher you can throw out there every five days.
1: Yeah, I, you say that, and it's not that I disagree with that, but I also know that – You can never have too much starting pitching, and right now Yulish Haseen is on the injured list and Gio Gonzalez is on the injured list, but the guys who are... Chase Anderson's doing a nice job. Zach Davies, again on Sunday, had a great game. Uh, You know, it seems like Brandon Woodruff, uh, even though he struggled a little bit in his most recent start, he's been really good this year. It doesn't... If there's not injuries, I don't know where you slot Jimmy Nelson in, and that's part of the reason he got sent to AAA was because there was no obvious place for him to walk in. I think you're right that... You want maybe you're looking for some more consistency in the rotation, that there's some guys in there that you feel like could maybe fall off at any moment, but also the rotation for the most part is, as it's set right now has done a pretty good job.
2: Yeah, and Brandon Woodruff, I mean, I think that was the guy that we all had heightened expectations for after you saw what happened in the postseason, and I think he certainly lived up to that. My thing was uh, I was – I guess borderline surprised when they put Corbin Burns into the rotation because you we're know, just watching what they did in the second half last season. My belief all along was don't tinker with that. And we're seeing how major league baseball is, is kind of shifting. And if you can have, now granted the injuries to Kniebel and early in the season, Jeffers kind of changed things. But if you can have the back end of the, of the bullpen, the way that the Brewers had set up last year, where you had Hader and you know what he's capable of, Yet Corbin Burns, who was looking like he was developing into, you know, not necessarily that level, but a right-handed version at times of Josh Hayden. That to me, what we're seeing now with starting pitching, where you talked about the performance Zach Davies had uh, today on Sunday, that's just becoming more and more rare with teams that you just have a handful of guys that go out there and consistently get you seven innings or more. And the way the Brewers set things up last year, I thought we were kind of going to see a swing in teams where they're building things from the bullpen, basically, and saying, you know, what you did with Julius Chassin last year, going out and getting Geogood dollars, and saying, let's just get guys that we know can give us 5 six innings and get to the bullpen, and from there, the confidence we have in that group can really turn things over.
1: So I would have agreed with everything you just said, except for for one thing that changed my view on that, When Corbin Burns got called up last year, Craig Council, David Stearns, anybody who would talk on him would always say, this bullpen thing is just for this year. He's going to be a starter next year. And they never wavered off that. And this is a Brewers team and really an organization, especially under David Stearns. They keep everything close to the vest. They never make these big statements. So the fact that they made that big statement about Corbin Burns, he is a starter, and they never backed off that until recently after Gio Gonzalez was signed and they didn't really have a spot for Burns anymore – I always thought he was going to be a starter just because they never make big statements like that.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, I, I guess part of me was just hoping that they would just see how things went and think, you know, the way we're seeing this shift and even, you know, the, the gamesmanship where we saw in the past, they would trot out one guy or the starting pitch would face one guy and know happened once and then go to the bullpen. This just feels like baseball was headed towards bullpen heavy, that maybe the thought process would have changed. But to your point, they did mention that from the start, that his his future is in rotation.
1: Isn't it funny to look back on that one, you know, Miley just facing the one batter thing? Like I look back on it now and it was – It was just to get. I guess it was against the Dodgers, just to get them to face. You know, the set up the lineup for one way and go the other way. Like in the moment when you're in the middle of that postseason run and everything, it's it's one thing. Now, as you look back on it, it's kind of funny. I guess you know. I don't know if I'm
2: in the minority here, but I had zero problem with it, and you know, the way it's set up, it's within the rules to do it. So do everything within your advantage. I'm also not a huge fan of of the rule changes we're going to see and having starting or having relievers have to face a minimum of three guys and and take and get rid of the shift and all that. I think baseball, when you do things like that, I understand the thought process is number one, we want to make it more exciting with the shift and and make sure that you can't set your defense basically to stop that. Uh, But also let's speed up the game. There's other ways to do it. To me, the whole thing is the gamesmanship of the bullpen. That is so much of baseball to say, let's go to the bullpen and bring in this lefty to face a left-handed hitter, see if they make a change, and then go from there. I understand it slows the game down, but to me, that's the excitement, and that's really the gamesmanship of it.
1: I know we're in Milwaukee, so we pay more attention to the Brewers than other teams, but when you really think about it, the rules that are coming into effect, the – uh, pitcher has to face at least three batters. That seems almost directed at the Brewers for the one-pitcher thing and the way the Brewers do use their bullpen and, and like to u- utilize matchups and everything. Getting rid of the August 31st trade deadline. No team was more active yeah. August 31st last year than the Brewers. Uh, thinking about moving the shift and you know making sure two infielders are on each side of second base, that goes against the Brew- Like It seems like every rule that Major League Baseball is either implementing or considering implementing is like going right against what the Brewers did last season?
2: Well, and I know, you know, to kind of compare it to other sports, I know basketball has done some tinkering, but it's, it's the same effect as saying, you know what, you can't play man-on-man. You have to play zone or vice versa. And if you go to the NFL and say, you can't run a 3-4 defense, everybody has to run a 4-3, that if, if you have a problem with the shift, then bunt or do something else to beat this shift. But that's a part of the game to me. And that's a part of the, com- the competitive balance.
1: As we talk on Sunday night, the Brewers are a game and a half up in the National League Central. Uh, two of the pitchers that were in the rotation to start the season and Freddie Peralta and Corbin Burns aren't even in the rotation anymore. You got another two starters in Shasin and Gio who are both uh, now on the injured list. That's both recent. They've both made their most recent starts. Uh, you lost Corey Knable. There's been guys in the bullpen. You know, the bullpen has been inconsistent for the most part this year. Uh, you have Travis Shaw and Jesus Aguilar who are hitting below 200. Are you surprised that the Brewers have as good of a win-loss record as they have considering the way things have gone in terms of some players, both from a pitching and a position player standpoint, some players not uh, doing what we expected them to do this year?
2: Um, I guess somewhat, but ultimately, you know, the thing that swings that is number 22 in the outfield. Who's already up to, what, 22 homers? Yep. And, and just, you know, I don't know how you felt, but you knew that bringing on Christian Yelich, that was a big get for you and that you were getting an all-star caliber player. But I didn't envision Christian Yelich becoming what he is now. I thought he'd be very good, but MVP of the league and on pace for, what, probably 40, 45 homers this year, the way uh, he's off to the start now. I didn't envision this. I don't know what, if, if you saw this coming.
1: No. He, he has one less home run with his two in his two years with the Brewers right now than he had in his entire tenure with the Marlins.
2: Well, and I know at the time when the Brewers acquired him, there was a lot of talk of, well, this ballpark's going to be a lot more friendly, and he likes to hit it out to right field and this and this, and You thought, okay, maybe he'll hit five more homers this year. But he has been an absolute monster. And, you know, to me, that's, if not the biggest, one of the biggest reasons why they're in this position that you just pointed to of, you know, I guess, certainly not around here, but still relatively under the radar in terms of all of Major League Baseball, that they're still, with those issues you pointed out, still in first place now as we're rolling into June.
1: Yeah, it's, it's so funny because, I mean, especially with what I do, and whether it's social media or phone calls into the show, and you deal with it with Bucks fans a lot, there's always you, the the people who are negative are the loudest ones a lot. And there's just this negative aura from a certain, probably a vocal minority of the fan base about this club. And it, it's kind of funny to me because I sit here on a daily basis and deal with people who you know moan and complain about everything Brewers related. Yet here we are. Team's uh, a game and a half up in the NL Central.
3: Yeah,
2: uh, the minority of the fan base, sure, but it seems like that's the entirety of our audience, of people that call into our shows. And, and, you know, the thing with me is, if you think something isn't working, fine. If you want to call in and say, why did you do this, or or, why did this happen? If you want to call in and complain about something, great. But what's the alternative? Don't just call in and tell me Craig Council's an idiot. What would you have done instead of that?
1: Yeah, for... When, uh, at the beginning of the season, when pitching wasn't going well and everybody was on the fire Chris Hook, uh, bandwagon, my, I implored people to tell me what Chris Hook was or was not doing that Derek Johnson did or did not do. And I, I never got an answer to that question. It's,
2: it's like that every year with pitching coaches and hitting coaches that, if the Brewers weren't in first place right now, it would be the same thing for the guys that, that you talked about with Travis Shaw and Aguiar and some of the struggles that they've had. But it, especially around these parts, it seems like every single year we want the pitching coach or hitting coach fired because of a three-week stretch. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's uh, – it's well, I have to remember, and I think – I I would bet you probably do the same thing, like especially when we hear the, the negative talk sometimes I force myself into reminding myself that, okay, this does not represent the overall feeling from the vast majority of the fan base.
2: Well, I don't know. I mean, well, I do have to remind myself of that, but it just, I think that's the biggest thing. And I enjoy it if, you know, with Bucks post-game and when I was doing Brewers post-game, if, like, the whole Corbin Prince State, if, if you're calling in and telling me I don't know why they pulled him out of the rotation and, and you want to complain about that, if you give me the alternative and back it up, that's the part of the job that I like the most when you can engage in that and say, well, here's my point of view. I think this is the reason why they should do this. You think this is the reason why they should do the opposite. That's one thing. But <laughs> When you just call in and tell me, fire Craig Council, he's an idiot. Why would you do that? And that's it.
1: That's what, okay. Well, where do we go from here? They have to bump more, right, Justin? Oh, oh geez. <laughs> uh,
2: You know, <laughs> I was really hoping to, like, case in point, today's game on Sunday. We can learn something from that, and maybe we can use that as, see, I mean, bunting isn't the be all end all. I don't know when we're going to get off of that.
1: Yeah, that because the Pirates bunted with runners on at first and second and the play was made at second so it ended up being a first and third situation in a two-run game and Ashton actually tweeted something out about that and he he texted me and said what would what would the reaction be if that would have happened with the Brewers, because you would have had Craig Council making the decision to bunt, but the bunt didn't work. It, it actually ended up hurting you, and that's the thing. Like we, I don't want to get into the bunting conversation, but I'll, I'll say this. There's no guarantee that putting down a bunt is ever going to work.
2: Well, every sport seems to have – I'm not sure what it is in hockey, but every sport seems to have their old – what you hide behind, and in baseball it's the bunting, and you got to manufacture runs. In football, you got to you got to run the ball to win. And basketball, it's, you know, a handful of things. And you know you got to dump it in the post and do this. And three point shooting is killing the game. That it, it's, it's going to be a great day when we move away from that.
1: In hockey, would it be line combinations? Like, he got this. You have this forward who played in seven games during the year, but he scored, you know, 10 goals in the AHL five years ago. And he's a gritty player. So everybody wants to see him replace somebody who's got actually more talent.
2: You know, it's been my finding that people love to talk about grit, people love to talk about grit. And you don't have to deal with it as much. But the other thing, and really our friend Scott Warris is the president of the fan club. How much collegiate players try more than professional players?
1: Mm. And so here, let's go to basketball for a second on that because it's hard to go baseball. And I know this is a Brewers podcast, but this is an interesting conversation, so who cares? Uh, Like, when you're watching... You're watching a Duke basketball game, and all of a sudden, you got this, you know, 5'10 kid who's going to slap the floor as they're bringing the ball up. And I love college basketball. I'm more into college basketball than I am in the NBA just from what I do from a career standpoint. I'm more connected to college basketball. But just because some kid's going to slap the floor and, you know, get down in that stance or whatever, that doesn't mean more effort is being exhibited from a college kid.
2: Well, my thing is, and look, I. As an employee of an NBA team, I would never say that college kids try more than the pros on a nightly basis, but let's say they do. The talent is still so much different that I still would rather watch professional athletes that are that much better, that maybe they're not given 100%, opposed to the collegiate kid who he's going nowhere after this, but he's out there trying.
1: I always tell people when it comes to basketball, Go to an NBA game and get there the moment the doors open, and watch guys warm up before the game and shoot. And there's going to be, you know, the twelfth guy on the bench who hasn't played in three weeks won't miss a shot. The the level of player that exists in the NBA, uh, even the guys who are not playing, it is that that level of athlete is insane.
2: Well, and it, it's really not that much different. From batting practice, either yep. where you know you remember back way back in the day when all the talk was get some Mariners games early and, and see each Echeveril basically just doing home run derby, which you'd never expect that all of these guys are capable of doing this.
1: Uh, since I've got you, and we'll we'll get on the box for just a second before I let you go. I I, I can't totally avoid that with you. What was this playoff oh, run God. like for you? Just, I'm not trying to go down the negative uh, sense, but just from a very, you know, the, man, this city came together. Uh, I think we were joking around on a, a WTMJ show the other day about how, you know, there were pop-up uh, tents all over the area with, you know, bootleg uh, bootleg Bucks gear being sold. I mean, just the way the community came together and the way uh, the team played up until those final four games, it had to be a pretty special thing for you to be a part of, not just as somebody who grew up in Wisconsin or I should say not just as somebody who works for the team and part of the broadcast, but also as somebody who grew up in Wisconsin and has seen this team uh, through much of their existence.
2: Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, You know, those things you came to where you would would see the uh, pop-up shops at gas stations and just this this entire state, really. And it wasn't only the playoffs. I mean, you noticed it early in the season where certainly – the uh, the interest in Milwaukee was high, but as the season progressed, and really once you got past the All Star break, you saw more and more Bucks fandom. I know I did a lot of uh, radio interviews in Lacrosse, and they would tell me each time that they had Bucks bars, and there was students out there at UW Lacrosse wearing Bucks gear. Uh, and to think about that five years ago would have been unheard of, because you know for most of my lifetime, the Bucks were really just a Milwaukee team. And the biggest thing that the new ownership group did was they turned this into a statewide team where you saw merchandise out there and apparel out there readily available um, and just all throughout the state that yes, the interest is heaviest in Milwaukee and probably Madison that once you get West and North, it's going to be a lot more Packers or you get closer to Minnesota and the interest isn't there. Sure. But it's become much more of a state team now. And, you know, I know you weren't here um, for most of that time, but just to, even for you, though, um, looking at that area where the Bradley Center was and what was in that spot in the corridor where Five Surf Forum sits now, you know, since 2002, I think it was, that had just been a wasteland. Mm-hmm. And to think now, everything they have down there and looking back at the Eastern Conference finals and seeing, all those images of how many people were flooded out there on the plaza just to be around that, uh, that's really encouraging. Now having a guy like Giannis certainly helps that, but I think you know what you look for now is now with Giannis in tow and with that new arena and with everything that's around it and seeing this team that, you know, got to the Eastern Conference Finals. And There's still a lot of things that have to be done in the offseason and still some decisions to be made, but still a team that has a very bright future. When you have all that stuff coming together and a generational talent like Giannis, now's the time where you really build up Milwaukee into a basketball town and that you see the interest start to grow and grow that what we saw throughout the playoffs you hope becomes the norm now in terms of interest in this team and really the statewide interest. So that was, you know, the biggest thing for me, and it was just a lot of fun uh, to be around it because the first round we knew they were going to beat the Pistons, and, you know, all the talk of the 18-year absence of winning the playoff series, it was, I don't, I guess, I don't know how to describe it, but you knew they were going to win. So, the, you know, the release moment didn't come in that series against the Pistons because it was a foregone conclusion. But, you know, to beat the Celtics, and to do it in the fashion that they did, that was where that release really came for fans that were like, okay, here's the moment and I can believe in this team. Um, you know, I know we're all disappointed in the Eastern Conference Finals. I, I I didn't watch game one of the NBA Finals. I don't think I can watch any games of the Finals. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that I tried to really stress throughout the season was for people to just take it all in and enjoy it because, you know, similar to what you experienced last year with the Brewers, that was a really special year. And this isn't to say that the Bucks won't contend for a championship going forward, but everything that fell into place for them, uh, the numbers that they had, uh, they had a historically good regular season. They were one of the greatest regular season teams in the last 25 years. They won 60 games for only the fifth time in franchise history. They were the top seed in the playoffs for the second time in their franchise's history. You have probably the MVP, maybe the coach of the year, maybe the executive of the year. You had two all-stars, the coach of the all-star team. It was just a really special season that look, seasons like that don't come around every year. You might be in the spot to contend for a championship regularly going forward, but seasons like that are tough to come by. So I tried to stress, take this in and enjoy it, but also, the Raptors, and I think, you know, we kind of fell victim to being prisoner of the moment. The Raptors are a really good team. And all season long, it was the Raptors and Bucks, clearly the two best teams in the Eastern Conference. And I think a lot of us, you're more disappointed because you saw what the Bucks did to the Celtics and you saw how the first two games of that series went and assumed, well, the Bucks are just on another level of all other teams. And look, when they're clicking on all cylinders, I do believe that's the case. But I think some of us kind of slept on how good the Raptors were that, yeah, it's disappointing that you lost four games in a row for the only time all season and that you're not playing in the finals. But this wasn't the Bucks giving it away as much as it was the Raptors taking it. They're a really good team. And I, I guess that's the part that I take solace in that it wasn't just, man, the Bucks didn't show up. They lost to a really good team.
1: Hi right, Justin. Great stuff encourage you uh encourage folks to uh follow you at t m j Garcia I-, I can't believe I've been doing this podcast so long and have not had you on. I will make sure to uh get you on and we'll continue to talk uh Brewers throughout the summer
2: Well, Matt, before we go, let me put you on the spot okay uh so what happens with Keston Hira now?
1: uh I don't know that's like that's the this is the Keston Hera episode of Brewers x trains the podcast. I don't know what the answer is because. I don't see them walking away from Jesus Aguilar or Eric Thames or Travis Shaw, and Keston here is killing it right now, but you only have 25 spots on the roster. I don't – I. When Tuesday comes, you know maybe they do something with a relief pitcher for a day or two, and you know every you know this as well as anybody. Everything always seems to work out. Maybe that Mike Mustakas hand injury becomes a little bit more uh, serious than we thought it was, and he ends up on the injury list. I don't know what the answer is, but if it gets to a point where it's either release one of those guys or send Keston here back to Triple A, I think Hira goes back to Triple A.
2: Well, and maybe maybe I'm being too naive here, but I, I guess I believe, too, uh, everything that you said, but if you're at least up front with the player and you say, look, we know you belong here, this is a business decision, though we only have so many spots, and service time is going to factor into this as well, we have to send you down, but you're going to be back up here down the road. The player's going to take that a lot better than just hey, you know, you got to go down and work on this.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure I think they're pretty good about communicating those things, so everybody probably is on the same page. But you send them down, all of a sudden, Travis Shaw's got to play well because then all of a sudden you got a guy who's hitting yeah. 160, and you sent down a guy who hit 300 and hit five home runs in two weeks down for a, a 160 hitter. You, there's more pressure even on Travis Shaw at that point to play well.
2: Yeah, it should be interesting, Phil. I can't
0: wait to see the decision.
1: Yep. All right, great stuff, Justin. Thanks for your time. You bet.
0: The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm.
1: Brewers x Range, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. We go down on the farm and we continue to move up uh, through the system. Last week we talked with Chris Merring from the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. We go up a level to the Carolina Mudcats and once again uh, bring in the broadcaster for the Mudcats, that is uh, Greg Young. You can follow him on Twitter at Greg Young Jr. Junior JR. Greg, always appreciate you taking some time. How are you?
3: Hey, good Matt. How are you
1: doing? I'm all right. Hey, before we get started with anything on the team, I didn't do a great job the last time we talked about a month and a half ago. Uh, we had made, we had I think made reference to the fact that uh, you did some uh, Brewers games on the uh, webcast during uh, spring training, which is really really cool. Uh, but everybody always likes Bob Euchre stories, and uh, your your dad actually had a very unique Euchre experience, and I think uh, the uh, the listeners of this podcast might be interested in that story.
3: Yeah, it was uh, pretty crazy. Um, I got a chance to the one game out there, and uh, the weekend before I got out there, uh, I got a chance to call the game on the webcast with Lane Grindle. Um, my dad and my mom had gone to Arizona. For spring training, basically, all it was basically like the first week of spring training, so there wasn't a whole lot of baseball to be seen. My mom went for uh, the horse shows. My dad went along with her, and uh, you know the deal was that she would be able to see the horse shows, she wanted to see for years, and he could go then watch some games. And they stayed at a really nice hotel out there. And my dad had, I think, he had won it in some kind of contest at work or something like that. So uh, there's a lot of extra details here, but just to kind of give you an idea of how crazy it all was. So they're there the weekend before. It's a Sunday. And uh, my dad gets up early at this hotel. And uh, he's looking to play golf. And he's there by himself, basically. So um, my mom doesn't play golf. So he goes out to the course to play by himself. And um, they have a frost delay. It was a weekend in Arizona where uh, it was cold. And they had uh, frost and, and whatever all over the place out there. So you know everything was kind of getting together to late, And on the course especially, you can't play with frost in the grass. So everybody was being pushed back. So it got to a point where everything is thought out. The beginning that the starters beginning to put some of the the, um, the, the forces out there the groups and what-have-you and um, they're running into a backlog now because of the thought delay so um, they're not putting singles which my dad was into other groups so the pro my dad and the pro were talking apparently in the pro shops before, and uh, the pro was talking about how his son used to play minor league baseball and you know my dad was there to watch spring training and my dad started talking about how um, I, I work in, in minor league baseball with the mud cats, and he was telling him there's the guy about what I do and then you um, Eventually, the pro, you know, goes outside and, um, he's looking to pair up my dad now into a group because he needs, he can't send a single out because this would back everything up even more. And, um, he goes to Bob Bucher's group where happens to walk by Duke and then Duke looked over and I think he kind of had an idea of what was going on and, um, uh, he saw my dad over there by himself and he said, Hey, I think I know that guy. He told the pro apparently, um, and this is actually, I, I heard this part from, uh, it was actually Jeff and uh, Lane, I think, uh, the next weekend. But uh, they said that uh, Duke looked up and he said, I, I know that guy. Uh, and he told the pro, he was like, I, I think I know that guy. Hey, hey, bring him over here. Let him maybe come with us. So my dad, my dad's over there just kind of hanging out. He sees you. He knows that Duke is there. And he's kind of beside himself just the fact that he's at the same course as Bob Huker, and he's freaking out a little bit about it. Um, but uh, So he goes, uh, the pro comes up, invites my dad over. And um, I think if, if my dad got closer and closer, he would realize that he didn't know my dad. Um, but my dad ended up playing with him anyway. So my dad gets put into this foursome that happens to be Euchre and then two other people that are loosely related to the um, the same industry that my dad uh, works in. So he had kind of an in in that regard, too. Um, not that that mattered. The most important piece was just that Euchre was there. So uh, my dad got randomly paired up into a foursome with Bob Bucher to play golf at this course in Arizona, again, just randomly out of nowhere. And uh, he waited, he said, until about the third hole. He said, first off, he was really nervous. He was just kind of anxious about playing, didn't want to, you know, do anything and, and kind of upset anybody or anything like that. He was just going to kind of try to stay quiet. He said Bucher was hilarious from the start, very nice, very gracious, um, just about the whole experience. And uh, uh, so about the third hole, my dad told me that he decided that at that point he would kind of find a way if he could to mention me and what I do with the Mudcats and minor league baseball and, and all that so he eventually got to that part and I and I, and I from what I gathered and I, I didn't get a chance to ask you about it when I was out there I didn't actually see him at all and I, I really regret that but uh, he said that uh, Euchre knew that I was going to be there because I was on the uh, the sheet for that that weekend coming up um, for that game on the first I think it was um, against the Mariners the webcast game and he was like oh yeah 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 yeah, your son's going to be out here looking forward to seeing him and and uh, they it also said that you know we we love having the Mudcats in the organization now, and they were talking about that. And then from there, it was just Euchre was just telling stories the whole time apparently. So my dad is you know just loving every minute of it. He tried to soak it all in. He's asking questions, having fun. He ended up playing nine holes with uh, with Euchre. Euchre left after the first nine, and uh, as soon as my dad was done, he called me and he goes, "You're never gonna guess what happened." He's on like the 10th team now at this point, so he's calling from the golf course, which is a huge no-no. And he was like, you're not going to believe what happened. And I knew what the call was about because my dad usually calls me every Sunday to break down his round of golf, wherever he he plays, and he goes by shot by shot. So I was expecting, okay, so now you're going to tell me what you did on the second hole, what his approach was, da-da-da-da-da. But all of a sudden he goes, I just played golf with Bob Heaker. And I was like, no, you didn't. And he was like, yes, I did. I just played golf with Bob Heaker. I am not kidding you. I don't know how this happened. But I just played golf with Bob Euchre, hmm. and it was just like the most amazing thing ever. Uh, the best part was, and I know that I'm just kind of going on nonstop here, but, uh, outside of that part about him playing golf with Bob Euchre and him calling me and telling me about it, and the fact that Euchre even knew who I was was cool too, obviously, um, and amazing. But, uh, on the, on the tenth hole, and now he's, he's actually by himself at this point because, um, the three other guys, Euchre and, and the two that, that he was already with, uh, originally, um, they had gone to lunch or something like that. So they were they were done for the day. My dad kept playing, and on the the very first shot on the tenth tee, he goes OB. Oh, He's up again to hit a provisional or just as a as a mulligan, hole in one.
1: Hmm. That's a good day. Yeah. That's a good day for your dad. Crazy. Craziest day ever. Not officially a hole in one,
3: but still, that next shot. Yeah. Yeah, he had a hole in one. Yeah. Yeah. Just unbelievable. The whole thing was crazy.
1: No, I think it's a great story, and that's why I wanted you to uh, share it with the audience, so I appreciate that. Uh, Let's jump into baseball. And right now, when you look at the active roster and you look at the guy who's got the highest batting average, it's someone who's played just 11 games, but he has been playing uh, lately in uh, in Wes Rogers. That's not exactly a name that a lot of people are familiar with. Uh, tell me a little bit about him and what he's been doing.
3: Yeah, so Wes Rogers, uh, I talked to him about it actually a couple days ago um, when he had uh, had a three-hit game in Winston-Salem in the first game there. Um, he was uh, released by the Rockies uh, last day of spring training, so... Uh, signed on as a as a free agent, um, he came on board with us a little while ago. It was uh, it kind of coincided with the, the same day that a, that a player was released, so a spot was open. Uh, Rogers was put on, and um, he's been really good. You know, he didn't play at first. Uh, he's been with the club now for a while, but he wasn't really getting in there very often. We had kind of a backlog of outfielders, so it was a matter of kind of getting those guys their reps and then finding a spot for for Rogers to kind of fit in after. But um he's been really good ever since uh just a speedster he's a guy that's had some um, some time in double a in the, in the rocky system he made it as high as hartford last year he'd been in the california league um going on for parts of the last uh, three seasons it was a uh, california league all-star and in, uh, in two straight years led to the, the california league in steals actually in two straight years as well including uh last year i think it was um but uh he's got really good power um he's got the a grand slam with us already. He's homered twice. Matter of fact, the home run that he hit in Winston-Salem um, ended up something, I think, like in the 380 range. It was straight out the left. It was a solo shot, just an absolute rocket. Uh, but he's looked good. Um, very good speed. Um, I think as he is be- he's beginning to get into the mix a little bit more and kind of learning more and more about uh, the different approach that the Brewers take to the day-to-day process and everything, as opposed to the Rockies, um, he's beginning, I think, to define kind of a comfort zone and uh, he's been great, Uh, plays a pretty good outfield, plays left and center at least so far, and um, he's made a lot of really good contact lately. had six hits over the first two games in Winston-Salem. Then had kind of a quiet day in in Game 1 of the doubleheader, but had a hit, I think, in Game 2. So, seven hits in his last three or four, so uh, that's not bad. That's that's certainly getting it done.
1: When you look at single-A rosters, mostly it's players that have, are, are developed by the organization, occasionally maybe a guy who comes over in a trade, uh, a higher-level prospect who is part of some sort of trade. When it comes to guys who have been signed as free agents, who are let go by other teams as minor league players, that's that's a tough road to hoe right there because it's just a you were let go and now you're in a different organization and you got all these guys that the organization is already familiar with. Can you talk to me a little bit and talk to the listeners about just the, the challenges that exist for a guy like Wes Rogers who at the at the single A level is coming in as a free agent after being released in another organization.
3: Yeah, you know, and and I talked to him a little bit about that, actually. He said that uh, the biggest thing is just getting a chance to prove himself all over again. He had done it once, obviously, um, being drafted uh, by the Rockies, originally actually picked by the Dodgers out of high school uh, in South Carolina years ago. But, um, you know, he he had proven himself in the Rockies system. I think it was just a matter of uh, you know maybe they they had other plans for the outfield. So um, certainly a great talent, and now he has a chance to show off that talent again uh, this time to a whole new set of eyes. The Brewers obviously uh, liked what they saw out of him, um, to sign him as a free agent and give him the shot. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I think the the challenge there is not only getting through the day-to-day or um, learning the new system, you know, the different approach to the game and the way that they prepare and the way that the game is played, too, in a sense, um, you know, from organization to organization, but to, to prove what he can do. But then also to, to get used to, you know, new teammates. Um, you know, I think there's a dynamic, dynamic there that has to, to be, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, thought about and and, and and looked at. If you're Rogers, and that you you have to, you know, find a way to fit into the clubhouse. You know, find guys to, to latch on to, and you know, it's it's something where you're around these guys every day, and um, you know, building those relationships is a big part of it. But he's been a great fit. Um, you know, he's he's fit right in. I think he's up for the challenge too. He said he's really excited about it, and uh, looking forward to you know to show him what he can do, and trying to, to help you know. This, this team win but also you know with the big league club uh, moving forward seeing what he can do in the system and, and helping all these these guys uh, do a little bit better
1: we can't talk without talking about the two catchers and uh, and Feliciano and also in uh, Peyton Henry's Henry's offensive numbers have kind of come down a little bit recently but still so much optimism and excitement about those guys and, and they're both playing a lot not playing uh, not catching every single game how's that going with those two and what is the uh, how is the playing time kind of being distributed right now?
3: It's still the same. It's still a fifty-fifty split. Um, you know, uh, Peyton Henry will be back there for one day. The next game, Feliciano will catch, and then Henry will be the DH. And it's gone just like that since day one. Um, they've pretty much evenly split it right down the middle. I think uh, uh, right now, Peyton Henry's got two more games behind the plate than Feliciano. But I think it's only because we had a, a day off in there somewhere. Maybe he caught like back-to-back games, but with one day in between. Um, Feliciano's been incredible. Uh, you know, offensively, he's in, in the, the league lead, among the league leaders, I should say, in, in slugging total bases, extra base hits. he's tied for the league lead in homers now with nine. He's got two walk-off home runs this season. He's been a huge clutch hitter. Um, he's also uh, had, I think, three or four multi-hit games in his last five or six. So he's beginning, I think, to show that uh, he can really certainly, you know, maybe uh, handle the next level. You know, he's, he's certainly, I think, proven everything that he needs to here at this level batting-wise. Um, you know, the team, though, when you look at the splits, Right now, the team's got a maybe about an ERA and a run. I'm sorry, and a half higher um, ERA-wise with Luciano back there compared to Henry. Henry is uh, definitely uh, polished as a, as a receiver and a, and a, and a pitch caller too. Um, he calls a great game, takes it behind the plate as good as anybody among the the, the uh, minor league leaders in caught steals percentage. I think is down for him a little bit regarding caught steal efficiency, but um, total number of caught Steels is up there at the top in, in this league and in the minors too. Uh, but you're right, the, the, the bat has been slipping a little bit for him. He's been slumping lately. Uh, I think in his last 10 coming into today, he was hitting like 190-ish. But uh, had a two-run double in the first inning um, today. We're recording this on Sunday. And uh, that was enough in, a, in an eight-inning shutout effort for Dylan File. Uh, they won two-nothing because of that two-run double in the first. And what, one thing that I think is interesting, too, about what he's done, Hayden Henry's driven in, I think it's now 32 runs in the season. 20 of those have come with two outs. So, I mean, he, he's definitely got that clutch gene to him. I mean, the guy is a leader. He's a great guy to be around, uh, extremely fun, funny, professional. And, uh, you know, these guys, they kind of feed off his energy. And Feliciano, too, they all kind of rally around him. And one of the cool things, too, about them in particular and their relationship is just in regard to how they work together. The two times that Feliciano's had those two walk-off home runs, and he told me it was the first time he'd ever have a walk-off hit at all in his in his uh, career, uh, those two walk-off homers. Uh, the first player to greet him at the plate the first time was Peyton Henry. and Peyton Henry picked him up, and they celebrated um, he was the first one to meet him there at home. And then the second one, same thing. Henry actually waited a little bit for the rest of the guys to kind of celebrate with Mario first and then pick them up. And they, uh, you know, put him up into his arms and lifted them up at the plate and celebrated. So they've got a great relationship. They work well together. And uh, it, it's really fun to see. I mean, it's, it's, it's good to see them, you know, two guys, um, you know, the same position in the same organization. And, um, you know, everybody thinks highly, obviously, of what they can do. But to see them get along the way that they do is just very encouraging.
1: You guys have a Rob Henry as well. So both Peyton Henry and Rob Henry, they each have six home runs. So they have the same number of home runs mm-hmm. and the same last name. Uh, have, as an organization or anything, have you guys been able to do anything fun with uh, two guys with the same last name?
3: <laughs> Not yet, but uh, with, with the way that Rob Henry especially is playing as of late, I think that's something that we should definitely look at. Um, well, there was a candy bar back in the day like, oh, Henry, right yeah. I think yeah, um, I thought about trying to yeah, trying to find some way to mix that in on air, but I haven't gotten to it yet. but uh, no Rod's had a great year. Um, he's not a guy that's played every day. He's just a little bit shy of qualifying for the league leaderboard and you know, average on base slugging OPS. But if you had at this point slugging and in, in, uh, in OPS, especially, he'd be top 15 at one point, he was top ten in the league in both of those in in regards to just kind of being a, a hair shy of qualifying, but he's had a great year. Um, he was a guy out of Brown University, one of three Ivy Leaguers on this team. And um, he's, uh, he's been a guy that's uh, come up with some clutch hits. And uh, it's been good to see. And, and yeah, it's, uh, Henry and Henry, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. I don't know if you have any ideas. Let me know. We'll see what we can do with that.
1: The Brewers sure do like their Ivy Leaguers, don't they?
3: They do, yeah. Three of them on this team. We had Noah Zavala from Harvard. Um, and then, you know, you got two guys from Brown and uh, Rob Henry and, and Christian Togner with this club.
1: And Brent Suter at the big league level is a, is an uh, Ivy League guy, so I mean, I, I think there's maybe some others uh, in the organization. That's, it's not exactly like, you don't think of the Ivy League running out teams the way you think of the SEC and the ACC and things like that, so it's kind of cool that, that uh, it's worked out that way.
3: It is, yeah. Someone had asked me, a fan here locally, if it was the first time we had three Ivy Leaguers on the Metcalf at the same time. and. I, I don't know how I could go back and figure that out with 30 years of history, but uh, I told him I'd try and take a look. But my guess is probably, yeah. yeah. I would say it's the first time there has been three on one team.
1: <laughs> I bet it's only happened in baseball a handful of times. Yeah. Yeah. I,
3: you know, I did I did find at least that much. Yeah. There really haven't been that many. And for Brown, especially, I think it's been a long time since they've had a big leaguer make it. So um, I don't know if, if you know, Henry and, and Todd are on that track, but uh, Henry's had a good year with us. It'd be nice to see him play a little bit more, maybe. To try and see what he can do with a little more consistent playing time.
1: From a prospect standpoint, we look at Tristan Lutz, and uh, let's see—he's hitting uh, as we're talking. The average isn't where you'd maybe want it to be at 232. Does have five home runs, seventeen sure. RBIs. Uh, talk to me a little bit about this guy and what he's doing, and uh, just maybe the, the trajectory that he's on.
3: Yeah, I think the the numbers right now. I think he's kind of fallen victim to a slow start. Uh, in the sense that uh, he was uh, going down strikeouts a little probably more often than you would like liked early on and was hitting into a lot of outs too. But you know, if you kinda of cut it off, maybe look at sort sort of like the, the third week in April through all of May and then here into June, um, his numbers have actually been really good. Getting closer to three hundred, I think in the two sixty range, but the OPS up, power numbers are up. Um, he's also beginning here lately to really begin to hit the ball the other way. I talked to heading coach Bobby all about it. And he said that one of the things that, uh, Lutz has done, um, recently, and certainly when he did get hot in the third week in April and then in, into May, um, I it it's the first week in May, but, uh, just a little while ago, um, you know, he, he was beginning to hit the ball up the middle a bit more. Matter of fact, he had a walk-off hit, um, here at home. The, the Budcats have had six walk-off hits already out of 13 wins. I think, um, is how it's gone this season so far, uh, here at home. But, uh, He ended up hitting one up the right field line, uh, right up to the first base side, and then through two strike counts. he shortened up and punched it through. And, uh, manager A. Ralton's really happy to to see that kind of swing from him because he's been a guy that's pulled the ball a lot, you know, maybe trying to to hit for power and and launch the big flies. But, um, you know, he's begun to shorten up a little bit, find more hits, uh, the other way and up the middle. And then it's also kind of now translated into more power to the full side, too, when he does connect. And, um, I mean, he's as strong as it gets far as you know guys in this league and he's still very young um on the, on the younger end in this league too still um but he has just tremendous power he plays a great outfield. He's got a good arm uh, great range good instincts too it always seems like he has the, the right first step um whether he's going back or in or over on a ball so and he's also played a lot in right field too and, and, and played a good spot there but you know, the guys you know like Peyton Henry too where the, he's the, the leader of the club I think in some ways, I think Lex is kind of the same, in that the guys really feed off of what he does. I think when he's hot, they all kind of like follow in suit, and, and you know you see a lot more line drives and a lot more uh, uh, more well-hit balls coming from guys around him in the lineup. Certainly,
1: one and. You've been around minor league baseball. You know how the rosters change and roles change and uh, guys get you know put into piggyback situations or whatever. One thing this roster has that I think is kind of cool, three guys who are taking that ball every fifth day in Dylan File, Nelson Hernandez, and uh, and also the guy you already mentioned in Noah Zavallis. Two of those guys in File and Zavallas putting up really good numbers. Uh, Hernandez has been hit or miss a little bit, but how nice is it just from a consistency standpoint to know that three out of every five days you know exactly who's going to be out there starting
3: oh it's great especially if the team falls into a little bit of a a skid like they did recently losing five straight just to know that you have a guy that can go out there maybe give you four or five strong frames maybe six or more depending how things are going and at least keep you in a game uh so that you know you have the opportunity maybe to come back late um or hold on late to, to pick up a victory and that's kind of what happened a few days ago in Winston-Salem, when they had lost five straight, they snapped that skid, uh, getting a, a grand slam in the sixth inning from Pat McInerney um, you know, in a seven-inning game in a doubleheader. But you know, they, they they had a good, solid start in that one to begin things that just kept them in it, kept them alive, um, and then from there they just kind of ran with it. But Sivallis has, has been really good and very consistent this season. He's only had a couple of starts where the uh, teams had. Uh, been able to connect on a couple of big flies, just something where he wasn't locating his changeup maybe properly, at least according to the fishing coach, Cam Castro. Uh, that was really the only mistake that he made uh, in a few of those starts was leaving the changeup maybe up a little bit and, and teams kind of sitting on it. But when he's got that changeup working, he, he's been fantastic. And Saval uh, has the chance that he's going to be an all-star, I think, this season. And uh, having a guy like that and a guy like file who threw extremely well today, going eight scoreless innings, um, you know, it's just nice to know that you know, even if you do fall into a bit of a skid where it's two, three, maybe whatever losses it is, uh, to know that one of those guys can go out and put a stop to that quickly, uh, it helps out a lot. You know it certainly helps with uh, putting together the extended really good run that they got out to at the beginning of the year through april and then in, in, in the into the middle of May when you know they were only two and a half, maybe three and a half teams out of first. things have kind of gone the other way recently because they, they lost uh, three out of four to the first place team, the the Downey Wood in this league, but um, outside of that, those guys, you know, going out there and giving you five or six, you know, consistently, that, that helps a ton. And, um, you know, these guys kind of have be able to, to take advantage and put together a lot of wins this season. Just uh, uh, we'll see if they can keep it going. It's certainly seeing Foul go eight strong today will, will certainly help moving forward.
1: From a prospect standpoint, Braden Webb, he's 0-2, 4.01 ERA, 17 strikeouts, 18 walks. That's kind of the thing from a stat perspective that jumps out to me. He's walking a little bit uh, too many guys, especially compared to the strikeouts. Hitter's hitting two twenty six against him. That seems a little bit high as well. Uh, He's somebody that Brewers fans have their eye on. Talk me through uh, what's going on with him.
3: Yeah, I, I think for him he's getting a little frustrated and his his fastball velocity seems to be down a little bit. It's not where it was when he was with us last year, certainly not at the end of last year when he went up in August and eventually was uh, the Brewers not only pitcher of the month with what he did here and then also in double A and Belexi. But I think he's uh he's trying to work through that right now. I don't think it's anything injury related by any means. I think it's just kind of maybe um you know, a small, you know, hitch maybe in, in the way that he's going as of late. But they're working through it. Um he's working hard every day. Uh his last outing um, I think it was just a couple of days ago. It was, it was actually really good. He ended up taking a loss, um, giving up maybe one or two big hits, but that was all outside of that. A lot of swing and miss stuff, and that was the thing that was really great about him last year is that his swing and miss stuff was fantastic. He's got a great breaking ball, um, you know, a great curveball. He also mixes in a really good changeup, and he's got a hard fastball, too. And when it's right, you know, it's, at least with us last year, it was you know, close to the mid-'90s. He hasn't had exactly that velocity back yet this year. He's been up there a little bit these last couple, but you're right, that. Uh, the walks are up um he'd walked, i think four in each of his first four starts with us and he was kind of on par with where he was in double a before he came to us uh to come back and, and work on some things but you know they gave him a bit of a breather last year too when he was here he had gotten into early in the season kind of a, a situation where he was beginning to get a little bit wild and walking some guys and just not having a lot of success and they ended up taking him out of a rotation for uh a turn and um, put him back into the rotation putting him taking him off the roster and putting him back in just to kind of give him a mental refresh and I think that's what the goal was with him coming to us here is just to kind of get that refresher to maybe see what he can do toward the end of the half and then maybe reevaluate to see what they you know they might want to do moving forward but uh, I think just trying to get that velocity back up and then working on the secondary pitches just to get back to where he was and uh when he's right and he's in a good rhythm he's he's untouchable and uh and we'll see if you can if you can find that again.
1: I'll finish you off with this. The back end of the bullpen right now, a couple guys are just really putting up big numbers. Uh, Rodrigo Benoit, 9 of 10 in save uh, opportunities, so a minuscule .82 ERA, uh, 155 batting average against. And then Clayton Andrews, 6 of 8 in save opportunities, solid 2.60 ERA, uh, 186 average against. That's a, that's a nice couple guys to have to be able to close out games.
3: Oh, very nice. You know, actually, Clayton Andrews is trying uh, as a two way player now, too, getting in there a few times playing in center field, actually. That happened just about a week and a half ago. He's played in three games playing in center. Um, this is totally uh, away from your point, just a tangent, but uh, just kind of a fun fact. Um, he's got a hit already. He's walked, uh, I think, once, uh, but he's been there now three times, uh, three at bats, I think, in those three games each, and then coming out late. Uh, to, to have one of the the, the normal outfielders, if you will, go in there, so kind of cool to see him get a chance to do that. He, he was a kind of a, a, a hitting prospect. When he was at Long Beach State before the Brewers drafted him. But you know, the main goal, obviously, for him, I think, develop as a reliever in the back end. One certainly is that, and he's got phenomenal stuff. Um, you know, he's only five foot six, but he hides the ball extremely well with the way that he throws. Um, he's got a devastating changeup that, that he throws, a righties and a slider that is just as good against lefties, and his fastballs. You know, somewhere in the ninety ninety one, maybe 92, I think he hit maybe as high as 94 in Salem, that that gun was correct. But, um, I mean, the, the ball just jumps out of his hand, and he's extremely fun to watch. i will be excited to see what he can do. And Ben Wallace been brilliant, too. Like you said, you know, that ERA is down about .8 right now, and he he's really only given up uh, a few earned runs overall for the whole year. And the first one was on a home run. And I think outside of that, he had gone 10 appearances, only allowing one run. And it was just that homer, I think, in his fourth appearance of the season. He doesn't give up a lot of hits, is extremely well to contact. Um, you know, he was with us at the very end of last season, uh, had a really good year in Wisconsin, then came to us, and uh, came to us late in the year, and he's back now. But, um, you know, he's a guy who's, I think, fastball velocity is not where maybe they would want it to be, or at least not where it was when we saw him last year. But today, he ramps it up a little bit, and it, we began to see maybe um, kind of the same numbers that we saw out of him last year. He was sitting at least on the gun here, 94, 95. Um, in today's game so when you I mean, have that and then also he's a four-pitch guy he's been lost so he's tossing a third ball slider and a changeup out there too um, he's got really good stuff and pitches extremely well to contact and he has kind of a, that bulldog mentality where he's hungry to get that ball and get out there and even in the pressure spots go out there and, and try and see what he can do so uh, those two have been fantastic and I, I don't know if there's a better back end of the bullpen right now in this league than, than what they have right now with, with those two and it'd be nice to see them maybe continue to, to go back and forth um, and save chances which is what is gone now pretty much as of late is Benoit his turn was today Andrews was yesterday and he got it saved so we'll see if they kind of keep that mix going forward here uh, toward the end of the half.
1: He is Greg Young follow him on Twitter at Greg Young Jr and before we get you out of here if uh, folks want to take in the broadcast either just audio or uh, with a video feed for home games what's the best way to uh, go about getting that?
3: Yeah, so uh, we're on MILB.tv, TV. Um, so you can, if you're a subscriber, you can watch that way. Uh, you also you can also find us uh, on TuneIn Radio via the website at CarolinaMudcast.com. And uh, we like to also post a lot of video highlights on our Twitter feed. So if you get a chance, look for us uh, on Twitter at CarolinaMudcast. A lot of the videos from today's game, including a really great outfield assist from Rob Henry coming in from right to play the play, to double play to get out of the a, a jam for Dylan File. All that video is up there right now. It's some pretty good stuff.
1: Yeah, I I just saw that when I was at. That's a great throw from right field. I do. People should go check it out. And there was the video you guys had recently. Who was it? there? Was a player who was asleep, and uh, it was a rain. (laughs) It was was a rain. Yeah, Yeah, tell I I tell that story because the the video is hilarious.
3: Yeah, I I went down to the clubhouse after all that had happened, and uh, Manager Aderall was telling me about it. Basically, um, we had the 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 delay and uh, in Winston Salem, and uh, we were waiting around for a while to see if the game would be uh, played. And I guess Clark fell asleep. And I haven't had a chance to talk to him yet. I'm going to try and do that tomorrow at batting practice just to catch up to him about it. But uh, so I guess he, he decided that they were waiting around that he was just maybe take a nap real quick. And um, I think when he fell asleep, they all collectively realized that maybe this would be a good opportunity to play a bit of a prank on him. So uh, they all left the clubhouse. And uh, I think it was actually our strength coach, from the way I understand it, Jonah Mergen, who came in and convinced Clark. He woke him up, first and foremost out of the nap and convince him that the game was about to start. What is he doing? Why aren't you in uniform? And just kind of making a big deal about it. So Clark got up real quick and got his stuff on as fast as he could. And Jonah comes back <laughs> in the room and he was like, you're already in the lineup. Now we got to make a lineup change. Like, What's going on? So like Clark's trying to hurry even more. And he, he gets outside and goes around the corner. He's in cool gear. He's got his fat in his hand and his glove and all that. And he's ready to go. And as soon as he walks around, all of the guys are out there waiting for him, just laughing. He immediately recognized what was going on. He just kind of put his head down and turned around, and they, they all had some fun with it. But Manager Airdall was loving it. He, he, he said it was a blast. But yeah, we, we were able to get that video. Put it up on Twitter. I think last I saw, it's it got like forty-eight thousand views or something like hmm. that now. So it was, it was kind of a viral thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely, uh, Greg. Always appreciate it. We'll talk uh, to you again here another uh, month, month and a half or so. But uh, really enjoy uh, you taking some time with us.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Anytime, Matt. Thank you.
1: Greg Young, the broadcaster for the Carolina Mudcats, joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Looking ahead to what's going to be uh, coming up this week, uh, we are going to uh, see the Brewers welcome in the Marlins for three games going Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Tuesday and Wednesday will both be 640 first pitches, and then on Thursday, that game will get started in the afternoon at 110, and then coming up on the weekend, they'll welcome in the Pittsburgh Pirates, a team that just took three. Out of four from in Pittsburgh Friday 7-10 first pitch Saturday 3-10 first pitch And then on Sunday a 1-10 First pitch it should be noted uh, That is Christian Yelich Bobblehead day on Sunday the 9th Tickets are already completely Sold out for that game Tickets, standing room only, everything. The Brewers have nothing for you if you are going to attempt to buy tickets to that game on Sunday the 9th, and that does not happen all that often, but that's going to be the case coming up uh, on Sunday, and then they will have another off day. They have an off day this week on Monday the 3rd. They'll have another Monday off day coming up on the 10th as well, as uh, they uh, get a number of off days here. They'll have an off day next Thursday as well, the 13th, so they'll go through a stretch where they have off days on the 3rd, the 10th and the 13th of June. And then they will not have another off day between the 14th until they have one on Monday the 24th. Once again, I want to do thank my guest on the podcast today, Justin Garcia from WTMJ. We got into a little Bucks talk too. We've done that here as we've uh, had some of the uh, tripod guys. We'll get into kind of our more conventional Brewers interviews in that segment coming up again uh, next week. I don't know who we'll talk to yet, but it'll be a little bit more kind of back to what we've uh, what we normally do in that segment, and also. Uh, Thanks again to Greg Young for joining us on the podcast as well, the broadcaster for the Carolina Mudcats. Look forward to – oh, one last thing. I uh, I should mention this very, very quickly. Uh, You might be noticing some changes on WTMJ uh, connected with the new lineup on 94.5 ESPN-FM. That's beginning – Uh, Later on during the course of the week, like Greg Matzik, who uh, generally hosts Sports Central on WTMJ from 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock in the evening, he is now going to be doing an afternoon show instead on a 94.5 ESPN-FM. And with that, we're adding something that uh, is cool for me when the Brewers play games that start at 7 o'clock, so that means we would go to Brewers coverage, you know, 6.30, 6.35, somewhere in there. Uh, that first half hour of the hour, so from 6 to 6.30, we're going to be doing a new uh, local Brewers pregame show on WTMJ, and I'm going to be uh, hosting that. So in addition to doing uh, Brewers extra innings after the games, we'll be doing uh, a little half-hour Brewers pregame show for a number of games moving forward, and uh, we look forward to bringing you that. Our first one is going to be coming up on Friday of this week. That's going to be Friday the 7th when we will do that and we look forward to being able to bring that your way all right now i'll say it for real and i'll mean it that's gonna do it for this edition of brewers extra Innings, the podcast powered by wtmj mobile talk to you again next week really appreciate you being tuned in to the podcast
0: thanks for listening to brewers extra innings the podcast matt will be back next week with another episode for all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.